0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the May 4th edition of WarComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. Bumblebee Foods and two others were charged with willfully violating worker safety rules, allegedly causing the 2012 death of an employee who became trapped inside an industrial oven at the company's Santa Fe Springs plant. Bumblebee Foods is a company that produces canned tuna, salmon, and other seafoods and chicken. The company is headquartered in San Diego. The brand is marketed as Cloverleaf in Canada. Bulby's former safety manager, Saul Flores, the company's director of plant operations, Angel Rodriguez, and the company were charged with three felony counts each of an OSHA violation causing death. The victim, 62-year-old Jose Molina of Wilmington, entered a 35-foot-long cylindrical oven as part of his job duties at the Santa Fe Springs plant. Molina worked for the company for about six years. The oven is used to sterilize cans of tuna. Co workers were unaware that Molina was inside the oven when they loaded multiple carts containing about 12,000 pounds of tuna, closed the front door, and started the oven. The victim inadvertently became trapped in the back of the superheated, pressurized steam cooker. The oven's internal temperature rose to about 270 degrees. Molina's severely burned remains were discovered by a co worker. In 2013, the company was fined nearly $74,000 and cited for six safety violations for the death. It was given serious citations for failing to evaluate and identify the 10 ovens in the production area as hazardous and permit-required spaces. The company was also faulted for not implementing a program to address safety precautions while working inside a large oven, which is required by law. If convicted, Flores and Rodriguez face a maximum sentence of three years in state prison and a $250,000 fine. Bumblebee Foods faces a maximum fine of $1 million. In a statement, Bumblebee said it disagreed with and disappoint, and is disappointed by the charges filed by the Los Angeles District Attorney's Office. It is currently exploring all options with respect to those charges and will proceed in the manner that best serves the needs of the Molina family, its employees, and the company. Since the 2012 accident, the company says it made its safety program even more robust and is committed to ensuring the safest possible workplace for its employees. And now our fraud report. 26-year-old Tiffany Shorter and 77-year-old Jabe Satterfield, owners of the Green Cactus Collective Medical Marijuana Dispensary in Palmdale, were arrested on multiple felony counts of insurance fraud. The owners failed to carry workers' compensation benefits for their employees and allegedly told a security officer to lie about his employment status after he sustained severe injuries from two separate robberies at the dispensary. Back in November 2013, 34-year-old Arsenio Tavarez A security officer was shot three times while suspects wearing bandanas and hoodies robbed the dispensary. After he spotted three males approaching with guns in their hands, he drew his handgun but was shot multiple times by one of the suspects. Despite being hit, Tavares returned fire and the suspects ran off on foot. The Sheriff's Department said at the time that the dispensary itself was illegal because such businesses are not permitted in unincorporated Los Angeles County. Shorter and Satterfield allegedly told their employee to lie to hospital personnel by saying he was a volunteer and not an employee, which made him ineligible for workers' comp benefits. The employee continued working until December 2013, when the dispensary was robbed again and he was beaten with a firearm and sustained further injuries. Shorter and Satterfield are facing up to four years in prison if convicted and were booked into the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department Palmdale Station. The Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office is prosecuting the case. The Green Cactus Collective was located on Sierra Highway in Palmdale. A new medical marijuana dispensary now occupies that location, but the DA's office said it is not known whether Shorter and Satterfield are associated with the new business. The man overseeing rehabilitation of the historic Hoburgs Resort in Lake County has pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor labor code violation for asbestos removal from the property. Authorities alleged that Daniel E. Nelson repeatedly violated state workplace safety laws during demolition, potentially exposing employees to the hazardous material. Nelson said that he accepted blame because he was overseeing the project, but the person who actually committed the asbestos cleanup violations was the contractor hired to do the job. A civil lawsuit against the contractor is pending. Nelson's plea agreement includes three years of probation, 60 days in the county jail, 340 hours of community service, a $5,000 fine, and a payment of $20,000 to the Lakeside Health Clinic in Lake County. In exchange for the plea, charges alleging Nelson failed to secure workers' compensation insurance and failed to implement emission control measures were dismissed. Nelson had previously been convicted in Santa Clara County for one count of workers' compensation insurance fraud. The Lake County case against Nelson stems from restoration efforts at Hoburg's Resort located on 55 wooded acres high on Cobb Mountain. In its heyday decades ago, the resort catered to families, movie stars, and spiritual seekers. It included a lodge, ballroom, dining hall, swimming pool, and more than 100 small cabins. Despite this setback, good progress is being made on the resort, including completion of 16 rooms, a wine bar, and welcome center. It is expected to reopen this summer with a fitness center, deli, and spa. And in medical news, traditionally claims administrators project the costs of a lifetime award using statistical actuarial tables that predict life expectancy based upon historical data. The settlement value of a workers' compensation claim also considers the expected lifetime cost of the claim. But now... Researchers say it may be possible to slow and even reverse aging by keeping DNA more stably packed together in our cells. Perhaps evaluating the cost of settlement value of a claim is getting far more complicated than just using an actuarial table. In a breakthrough discovery, scientists reported that they have found the key to keeping cells young, An international team of scientists studied the gene responsible for an accelerated aging disease known as Werner syndrome or adult progeria in which patients show signs of osteoporosis, gray hair, and heart disease in very early adulthood. These patients are deficient in a gene responsible for copying DNA, repairing any mistakes in that replication process and for keeping track of telomeres, the fragments of DNA at the ends of chromosomes that are like a genetic clock dictating the cell's lifespan. Researchers wanted to understand how the mutated gene triggered aging in cells. So they looked at some embryonic stem cells, which can develop into all of the cells of the human body, and removed this gene. They then watched as the cells aged prematurely and found that the reason they became older so quickly had to do with how their DNA was packaged. In order to function properly, DNA is tightly twisted and wound into chromosomes that resemble a rope in the nucleus of cells. Only when the cell is ready to divide does the DNA unwrap itself and even then only in small segments at a time. In patients with Werner syndrome, the chromosomes are slightly messier, more loosely stuffed into the nuclei, and that leads to instability that pushes the cell to age more quickly. And researchers discovered that the Werner gene regulates this chromosome stability. Before it can be considered as the fountain of youth, however, new and better techniques need to be developed that can more specifically and safely alter the Werner gene in people. And there may be other processes contributing to aging, and it's not clear yet how important chromosome stability is compared to those other factors. But, If the findings hold up, they could be the first step toward finding a way to help cells and eventually people live longer. Closer to home, Stanford University seems to agree with this science. Stanford researchers say that this new approach paves the way toward preventing or treating diseases of aging. Many workers' compensation risk managers are using predictive analytics to guide claim management for better treatment outcomes. Now, a new study that shows a relationship between MRI findings and the development of chronic pain may be a new tool in the predictive analytics tool chest. Whiplash-associated disorders from motor vehicle collisions affect more than 4 million Americans annually. While most people should expect to fully recover from whiplash industries within the first few months, about 25% have long-term pain and disability that lasts many months or years. Using special MRI imaging, Northwestern medicine scientists have identified within the first one and two weeks of the injury which patients will go on to develop chronic pain. According to the scientists, this is the earliest these patients have ever been identified. The ability to identify these patients so early will enable faster and more specialized treatment. After one to two weeks of the injury, scientists found unusual muscular changes in the chronic pain group using a sophisticated MRI that measures the fat-water ratio in the muscles. The imaging revealed large amounts of fat infiltrating the patient's neck muscles, indicating rapid atrophy. The presence of fat in the muscle does not appear to be related to a person's body size or shape. The authors believe this represents an injury that is more severe than what might be expected from a typical low-speed car crash. The study was published in March in the journal Spine. The finding builds on previous research, which also found a large amount of fat in neck muscles of whiplash patients at one and three months post-injury. Those patients went on to develop chronic pain and disability. Not everyone needs an MRI scan after a whiplash injury from a motor vehicle collision. However, these findings help physicians understand water-fat MRI in tandem with other clinical signs, and symptoms can be used to identify who is likely to develop chronic pain. The findings may indicate the importance of changing standard imaging protocols to identify these individuals early and start accelerated treatment. Routine imaging does not reveal this fat infiltration. And in regulatory news, the DWC has made revisions to the Workers' Compensation Benefit Regulations following its September 3, 2014 public hearing. Under the proposed uh, revisions, each benefit notice must refer the employee by chapter number and Internet URL to the appropriate chapter of the publication Workers' Compensation in California, a Guidebook for Injured Workers, and advise the employee how to obtain a complete copy of the guidebook. Notification of benefits by electronic service is only available where the claims administrator offers that option and that the employee's written agreement is required. When the method of service of the benefit notice is electronic, instead of regular mail, service must be through the use of a secure encrypted email system. The claims administrator will be required to maintain a log of service dates and receipt acknowledgments for each benefit notice sent electronically. If the claims administrator receives notice that an electronic benefit notice was not delivered to the email address provided by the employee or attorney, if represented, the claims administrator will be required to send the benefit notice to the employee and attorney by regular mail within 1 business day. The proposed new regulations revise and simplify the process of notifying an employee of the process for distributing a claims administrator's determination based upon a medical evaluation. If an employee does not inform the claims administrator of his or her choice of a panel QME, the claims administrator may, but is not required to, choose The QME who will examine the employee and arrange the appointment. The effective date of these amended regulations will be January 1, 2016. The notice and text of the regulations can be found on the DWC proposed regulations page. The DWC has also posted draft interpreter fee schedule regulations to the online forum where members of the public may review and post comments. The draft regulations include a new fee structure. The fee structure is based upon a number of factors, including whether the interpreter is certified, the language to be interpreted, and the forum where the interpreting occurs. The base rate for a certified Spanish interpreter is derived from the federal court rate. Higher rates are paid for certified interpreters of other languages. Lower rates are paid to provisional and non-certified interpreters. The independent bill review procedure will resolve any residual disputes about fees. The regulations require use of certified interpreters in all forums whenever possible with restrictions on use of provisionally certified interpreters. This is to guarantee the injured worker is provided with a qualified interpreter. The regulations require interpreters to provide detailed billing information and set forth specific billing codes. The billing information and codes require the interpreter to identify the event billed, the time charged, the language and qualifications of the interpreter, in addition to other information specific to the particular situation. The regulations provide clarity on the selection of and arrangement for interpreters. The notice of hearing, deposition, medical legal exam, or other setting shall include a statement explaining the right to have a qualified interpreter present if the injured worker does not proficiently speak or understand the English language. Where a party is designated to serve a notice... It shall be the responsibility of that party to include this statement in the notice. It shall be the obligation of the party or individual needing interpreter services to communicate the need for an interpreter to the claims administrator as soon as the need becomes known. The fees for Spanish language certified interpreters for hearings and depositions are $210 for each half day of service and $388 for each full day of service. For a certified interpreter for hearings and depositions in all languages other than Spanish, the fees are $240 for each half day of service and $418 for each full day of service. However, the employer may negotiate for an agreed-upon rate with an interpreter. All interpreters who provide interpretation services at medical legal exams shall include with the bill a signed statement from the examining physician verifying time spent providing interpreter services beyond two hours. All interpreters at medical treatment appointments shall include with the bill a signed statement from the treating physician verifying time spent providing interpreter services beyond one hour. Proof of certification may be requested by the claims administrator. The DWC forum can be found on their forum's webpage. Senate Bill 863 created an independent medical review process in which medical doctors replaced judges as the final arbiters in resolving disputes over the necessity of medical services. IMR has recently completed its second full year of operation. And the CWCI studied IMR decisions for nearly 260 1,000 medical services requested by nearly 77,000 injured workers. A treatment request becomes eligible for IMR if it is denied or modified by a utilization review physician. Only 5.9%, which is 1 out of 17 requested medical services, are modified or denied as a result of UR. Thus, the vast majority of treatment requests are approved by UR, leaving only a small percentage in which the injured worker may choose to apply for independent medical review, and 91% of all IMR decisions upheld or agreed with the physician-level UR opinion. Conversely, only 9% of medical service requests submitted for IMR after being modified or denied by a UR physician were approved by the independent medical reviewer. Requests for pharmaceuticals topped the list of services submitted for IMR representing nearly 45% of total requests. Compound drugs accounted for 12% of all pharmaceutical IMR requests and the reviewer upheld UR 98% of the time in those cases. The authors also found that reviewers overwhelmingly rely on the Medical Treatment Utilization Schedule, or MTUS, for their decision-making. The study reveals that a relatively small number of physicians are responsible for the vast majority of requested medical services that result in IMR disputes, The top 10% of all physicians named in the IMR decision letters accounted for 83% of all disputed treatment requests. And the top 10 individual physicians alone accounted for 15% of the disputed services submitted for IMR. Approximately 12% of the pharmaceutical requests that were sent through IMR in 2014 were identified as compound drugs. The IMR physicians upheld the modification or denial of these requests 98% of the time. 25.4% of IMR requests were filed by the employee, 5.2% by a provider, and 69.9% were filed by an attorney. The WCIRB testified at a California Department of Insurance public hearing regarding the WCIRB's July 1, 2015 Pure Premium Rate Filing, which was submitted to the CDI last April. WCIRB executives presented the actuarial basis for the average proposed July 1 advisory pure premium rate of $2.46. This reflects a 10.2% reduction from the average approved January 1, 2015 advisory pure premium rate of $2.74. Among the primary factors driving the proposed decrease are favorable medical loss development, lower-than-projected indemnity and medical claim severity, and better-than-expected accident year losses for 2014. While the current indications are favorable in terms of losses, the WCIRB will continue to monitor claim loss experience. WCIRB officials support the 10.2% rate reduction, however. And in other news, a recent paper published by a senior strategist for workers' compensation risk control in Lockton's Kansas City operation describes what all risk and claims professionals see time and time again. The common musculoskeletal injury where recovery stalls, no treatment works, and the injury becomes what Lockton calls a creeping catastrophe. And ACOM says that 5% of injured workers account for 80% of the cost and lost time in workers' compensation systems. The majority of these workers end up on long-term disability following injuries that would not be considered serious at their onset. And one-third of Social Security disability recipients are receiving benefits because of musculoskeletal disabilities. Low back injuries are the most costly and the most researched musculoskeletal conditions. Lockton's database indicates that low back injuries represent 20% of all lost dollars. While looking at claims over $250,000, they represent 25% of lost dollars. Studies have shown that in the Medicare population, spinal imaging especially the MRI, rose by a dramatic 300% in the last decade reported. During that period, more diagnoses have been based on detected so-called abnormalities with a corresponding 300% increase in aggressive and expensive treatment. As a consequence, costs have increased roughly tenfold. A similar expense in delivering invasive treatments solely from these imaging studies in workers' compensation is creating more large loss claims. These results, according to Lockton, are grossly disappointing because outcomes for workers have not improved. In fact, The availability of more precise imaging has meant that workers are disabled longer, not shorter, than historical baselines. Disability rates among working-age Americans are higher than at any time in our country's history, and the problem is getting worse. According to Lockton, if images showing structural abnormalities have not improved results, It looks like patients and medical professionals are going down the wrong road. And for those reasons, Lockton says, that many of these diagnoses are red herrings. In medicine, a red herring is a diagnosis made based on poor science or inaccurate criteria. False certainty is created and the search for the actual problem ends. In chronic pain cases, imaging findings are often red herrings. The real source of pain and distress usually lies elsewhere, being generated by soft tissue or by the brain itself or a combination. Medical overdiagnosis occurs when a physician labels a condition more serious than it truly is, attributing a usually benign condition to causes more serious than the scientific data and situation warrant. The medical literature suggests that in more than 90% of common situations, an alleged diagnosis based on MRI abnormalities represents medical overdiagnosis. An American College of Physicians and Treatment Pain Society panel found that many asymptomatic volunteers have changes in their spines that look exactly the same on an MRI as spines of people with pain. The panel recommended that many common low back diagnoses be completely abandoned. These included lumbar disc protrusion, lumbar disc herniation, lumbar spondylosis, and others. The panel advocated that these entities be replaced by the term nonspecific low back pain. This seems to be an acknowledgment that most anatomically-based diagnoses for pain confer no medical benefit to the patient. As a solution, the authors of the Lockton paper suggest innovative new models in diagnostic technology that address potential chronic pain cases in other various stages of development. Some insurance carriers and TBAs are working toward or are starting to pilot these technologies earlier in the life of a claim. Lockton concluded by saying that intervening early in the claim will make a substantial impact on the 5% of workers' claims and their 80% of costs. And that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I am Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd, Scarin and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.